Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street. I'm back. You're back. That's right. We put you on hiatus last week to give Marshall a chance to talk. And this is episode 165 of the Lawyerist podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Jennifer Gerstenzang about her criminal defense practice and two of the innovative offerings she's developed there. Today's podcast is brought to you by LawPay, FreshBooks, and Ruby Receptionists. We appreciate their support, and we will tell you more about them later in the show. So today's conversation with Jenny is going to be about a couple of really creative client service experiments she's running right now, which I think are really great examples of some of the client-centric service design concepts that we address in the small firm scorecard. Yeah, and in fact, these were at least one of these was inspired by TBD Law, by a conversation we had in an access to justice group. And I've tried to approach this conversation from that design perspective. What was the problem she was trying to solve? How did she go about learning about it? What is she testing? Because as you'll hear, they're not proven necessarily yet, not completely, but they show promise. Well, and it's not just that they aren't proven. It's that like these are experiments. She's Mm -hmm. offering some new things to see how they work. I think what's the coolest thing about them, as we'll hear in a few minutes, is that they're both really innovative ways of thinking about how she can serve criminal defense clients in a way that they otherwise aren't being served. And I think that's the approach to law practice that we try to capture in success on our small firm scorecard, but that we're just really excited to see in the industry as small firm lawyers work through design innovations. I think that's an important piece of it. And the other important piece of it is having a broader view of your client's problems. I think lawyers tend to zoom right in on the final exam question in their client's legal issue. And we come up with legal solutions and we are great at issue spotting and we're great at coming up with legal strategies. But that often is only a piece of what the client really needs to be solved for them. And I think the other piece of what Jenny is doing is identifying problems that aren't being solved but also expanding her view of what is the problem that needs to be solved and coming up with a way to address it. And so I don't have the expectation that everyone listening to this podcast is already developing and experimenting with client-centric offering design projects. But to the extent that this will help you think through some other ways that you might be able to address your clients' needs, one thing we'd love for you to do is kind of benchmark yourself and where you currently stand with the small firm scorecard at lawyerist.com slash scorecard. Yeah, definitely go do that. It'll help you assess where you are right now and what you might need to be thinking about to develop your firm. So we're going to hear from Janelle Johnson from BirdEye first in a brief sponsored interview, and then we'll have my conversation with Jenny. Hi, I'm Janelle Johnson, VP of Marketing at BirdEye. I'm really excited to be here today. I've been in marketing for a couple of decades now and and working with all size companies, especially with small businesses, and making sure that they're optimizing and working on how to get people to find their business and how to grow their business through different means. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is specifically around online reviews and how you can use those to help grow your practice. Maybe we should start by talking about what we actually mean when we talk about online reviews. So is this like Amazon style reviews, Yelp? I mean, where are we talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So we're talking, you know, about Google reviews. We're talking about on Facebook and 
specifically for our audience today, when we're talking to lawyers, we're talking about sites that are relevant to them and where their folks are searching, which may be Avo or Lawyers.com. So you're looking for the places that people find you. Uh, maybe you could clarify too. I'm not sure I understand what Google reviews are or where they show up. The only place I think I've ever seen them is on Google Maps. Is that what we're talking about? Within Google reviews, this is where it becomes incredibly important to be found, right? People are doing searches for things like, you know, I need a lawyer in my area, uh, and they're doing those searches on Google. Well, the reviews are things that people can go in, your, your, your past clients can go in, and, and as they're interacting with you on, you know, they can leave a review there. But what happens is when prospects are searching on Google, it will show up in like the Google My Business area. Hmm. And so your name will show up, your location, but then also your star rating. And it impacts where you show up in the search results. So if, if folks are searching for, let's say, a lawyer, maybe it's a bankruptcy lawyer in, in Manhattan, you know, there, there's a lot of folks that, that may fit that. So where are you showing up in those search results? Reviews have a lot to do with how you're ranking on that page. So after star ratings, the quantity of reviews that you have is the second most important factor in making sure that, that you're showing up there. And, and also in how that consumer is going to feel about your business, their opinion of your business is led and, and is impacted by the number of your reviews as well as the ranking. I suppose on Amazon, nine times out of 10, at least I'm sure I buy the top rated products. And I'm sure it's true too, that nine times out of 10, somebody hires a lawyer based on the reviews that they find about that lawyer. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? I, I joke about the fact that like I no, no longer even go out to dinner to a restaurant without reading the reviews first, right? And so it's, yeah. it's become so prevalent in our everyday life as consumers. And then, you know, as, as we're, you know, looking for anything. The other thing that's important about the reviews is it's not enough to just say, well, I have five reviews from a year ago. Because what customers are looking for is what's happening right now. So 69% of customers agree that a review has to be written within two to three months to still be considered relevant. Hmm. So as you're working with clients and, and as folks are looking for you, it's important to have that steady stream so that you know people are, are seeing that as relevant and as they're choosing somebody that that's helping them form their opinions. So we've talked about Google and you've mentioned a couple of other sites. What sites should lawyers probably be focused on? Yeah, so I think you know Google and Facebook are, are two that I would just recommend for, for all businesses. Google, because you need to be found within your market. Facebook is pretty popular these days with that. But for lawyers specifically, Avo and Lawyers.com. And so as you're building out your review management you know, strategy for these, if you look at those four sites to begin with, and you'll just want to make sure that as you've got clients and as you know, you're getting input and, and feedback from them, that you're making those requests, that you're asking them to, to go to those sites and making it really easy for them to do so. So if you'd like to know more about online reviews and why they matter, you can go to birdeye.com slash lawyerist to get the white paper from Birdeye, Why Online Reviews Matter. Thanks so much for being with us today, Janelle. Thank you very much. I'm Jennifer Gerstenzang. I am a criminal defense attorney in San Diego, California, practicing out of Encinitas. And I started my criminal defense career as a public defender in San Diego and fell in love with the work. Three years ago, I opened up my own boutique law firm in Encinitas, and I've been trying to figure out the work-life balance and really enjoy the practice of law through new services I'd love to talk about today. Hi, Jenny. I'm so glad you're here with us. And 
if the last name sounds familiar, it's because we've had Jenny's big sister yes. on the podcast already, Erin. The only reason I mention that is because like you come from a family of criminal defense lawyers, I think. Isn't that right? I do say people ask how I chose criminal defense. And I have to say that I, I was bred into it. Um, <laughs> it we have one, one sibling who went a different way and he's wildly successful in sales and living in Singapore and made excellent and creative life choices. And the rest of us just didn't know anything else to do. And so we are wildly happy in this profession. That's, that must be kind of neat because you must be able to like bounce ideas off each other and talk shop with family. Or is that like, do you not do that at all? Oh, I definitely do it. My parents and my sister and brother are, are sometimes the first people I call for advice. Hmm. I was talking to my sister actually this morning and, and she politely asked if maybe we could just talk about something other than work, which was such a fair <laughs> request. Um, but sometimes because they are my first source a lot of the times when I want to bounce an idea off of them. I definitely talk to them. They, they're great and they have really great perspectives because they aren't practicing in the same city. So they have a fresh perspective on a lot of things, which is really helpful. So I imagine as a public defender, you got exposed to a wide variety of case types. What did you eventually settle on doing in your private practice? One of the reasons I left the public defender's office was a personal decision for me because I, I find that the way I operate as an attorney, I really enjoy the misdemeanor cases and the lower level cases a lot more because I find that there's a lot more room sometimes for creativity in terms of resolving the case. The more serious cases, there's room for a lot of creativity in terms of preparing the case and, and arguing the case during trial. But it, the more serious the case, you're not going to be able to come up with just a, a great resolution that that doesn't involve a serious plea bargain. So for me, I, I really enjoy handling those other types of cases, additionally, because it allows me to have a, a better work-life balance myself. So in my practice, I do handle um, some of the lower level offenses, I guess you'd call it. And what I really enjoy about my practice is the connections that I have with my clients and, and being able to help them through a process that is oftentimes so unfamiliar and alien to them and really scary to them. And one of my strengths personally is, is being able to help a person in that situation. So that's what I really love to do in my practice. Well, and that's kind of a nice segue to what we wanted to talk about today, which is people come to lawyers with problems and lawyers generally engage in some kind of issue spotting and start talking about how to solve the legal problem. But people have bigger problems than just legal problems. And not everybody has the money to hire a lawyer to just take the thing off their plate. And so you are kicking around some ideas and experimenting with some ideas that I think are really interesting and I think are worth exploring more. And so maybe we should start by talking about your idea around legal coaching. So what is that? And kind of help us get our heads around why you think this is a need that isn't currently being met by the marketplace. Absolutely. So legal coaching is when an individual would go to an attorney before their arraignment date in order to get some pre-arraignment advice. How it works in San Diego is many people are assigned a public defender. And San Diego has, and I tell my clients this, has an awesome public defender's office. Um, we are so fortunate to be very well funded. It was the most competitive job I have ever applied for and felt so honored to get. And it has just an incredible staff of attorneys who are, who are working throughout the county. So people who are assigned a public defender are getting an outstanding representative. 
the downfall to the public defender's office for some clients is mainly that they'll they're charged with a crime, they bond out of custody if they've been if they've been booked in and had to bail out, or they're given a future court date that may be weeks or possibly over a month away. Hmm. And so then we start this really fun freakout period that people have if they've never been in trouble before. And what that does is a lot of times it leads to paralysis where people just aren't doing anything and a lot of fear. And when I was a public defender, there was this amazing receptionist who worked just a few feet from my desk. And she would have these people coming and begging her for information, begging her to find out what's going to happen with their case, asking her to look up their case. But they hadn't been assigned the public defenders yet because they hadn't been arraigned yet. So she couldn't give them any information and couldn't really advise them because she didn't, she wasn't an attorney and didn't have all the facts. And so she was gently and politely turning people away who were desperate for information. And honestly, what they do is they, they then go to their bail bondsman and, and try to get all the information from their bail bondsman, who is also in an equally uncomfortable position where they can't advise the person of what's going to happen. Yeah or what to do. But that time period that they have between their, I, I call it the accusation period, or their pre-accusation period, where they've been arrested, but they haven't been formally charged with anything, can oftentimes be such a fruitful time period to accomplish a lot of things that may improve either the outcome of their case or where they are while their case is pending. So for example, um, if somebody's charged with a DUI and either their BAC is high or they have, have prior DUIs in the past, during that time, if they, if they go and they get a scram bracelet, an alcohol monitor bracelet on and can show the court that they are not drinking and have maintained their sobriety, then that may increase their chances of being able to stay out of custody or having their bail not be increased at their arraignment date. And if their bails increase at their arraignment date, they have to go through the whole process again. They get rebooked into custody and have to bail out again at the higher bail. So it, it takes a whole day away from them. It's not a very fun process. And it may cause them to have to stay in custody while they're fighting their case. Hmm. Um, in other cases, petty theft, you know, and these are lower level offenses, but in a petty theft case, um, oftentimes a district attorney will offer a um, diversion where the person will do some community work, do an anti-theft course and, and possibly some other conditions, and then they can get their case reduced to an infraction at their next court date. But if in private attorney cases, if you have your clients complete everything before their first court date, they can even get that case resolved at the first court date. So for individuals who aren't being represented by a private attorney and have to come to all of their court dates and be physically present themselves, they're taking off time from work. They're trying to figure out transportation to get there. there there's a lot of things that they're possibly losing based on that time that they're taking to accomplish this, um, that if they can do that stuff ahead of time during that time, then they're really helping themselves out by the time they get to their first court date. So Legal coaching is a service that would give them this pre-arraignment consultation where there'd be suggestions based upon their offense, you know, their charges and their record as to what they can do to improve the status of their case. Um, and it's not just for the arraignment or, or necessarily quickly resolving the case. 
what they could do is bring that information to their public defender so that the public defender is then armed at their first negotiation hearing, which we call a readiness conference, with mitigating information that shows the person is actively taking steps to better their situation and is taking the situation seriously um, so that they can possibly get a better overall outcome overall in general, but then also in a shorter period of time. Because like the ordinarily the public defender is basically going in cold with a client who is essentially unprepared and hasn't done anything up to that point. And so what you're trying to do is just prepare the public defender, the client to, I guess not technically a client, but the defendant to be in a more advanced state when they walk in the courtroom so that they have way more options for what they might be able to do with their case. Exactly. You know, in a lot of cases, if a, if a court is thinking about increasing the bail on an individual, simply having a letter from their employer proving that the person is employed and is doing things that is outside of the criminal behavior can go a long way to keeping their bail as set, keeping them out of custody. Simple things as, as reminding them, hey, if you've got family members who are available to come in and support you on this day can also change the way that the court views that case. When the court's deciding bail, they're just looking at whether or not a person is a flight risk, whether or not they're going to come back, and if they're a danger to the community. So showing them that they're gainfully employed, that they've got people from the community who are willing to support them goes a long way for the judge when they're making that decision because they always have to assume that the conduct is true. They have to assume for the purposes of setting bail that the person did commit the crime. So these other factors are, are really important for the judge when considering um, and listening to the DA's argument as to how they want to set that bail or what they want to do at that first court date. And another thing I find, you know, I mentioned previously about the fear that people have. It's it's mainly legal coaching is the practical service, but it's also very much an emotional service. Yeah. So mentally preparing somebody for what's going to happen in court, what that first court date is going to look like. I tell them you're going to be sitting around for most of the morning. You're bring a book, sit outside. You can't have your cell phone in court. You can't be you know playing on anything in court. So you may be sitting out in the hall. And one of the really important things that I tell them is that the public defender who they're meeting with on that first day may or may not be the person who, who's going to actually handle their case. Right. Yeah. So if they don't like that person, Person, and, and they don't usually, not because the public defender they're meeting with isn't a nice person. It's because they've got a ton of cases they're trying to get through and they can't sit down and, a, and answer every single question about the specific case. They have to move that calendar along because um, they're getting a lot of pressure from everyone else to do so. So I let them know, you know, if you don't like your public defender on that first court date, that's okay. You're going to get another public defender or have at least more time with your public defender. So your first court date is not for you to flush out all the facts of your case. You're really just deciding if you're pleading guilty or not guilty. And if you want more time to decide, then you'll just enter a plea of not guilty. So it's preparing them for that experience so that any negative experience that they have, they're understanding why it's not what they might expect it to be. So my understanding is you've tried this and you've gotten some promising results. Is that right? I actually, the hard thing about legal coaching is that the people it works the best for are people who need the public defender. People who can hire their own attorney are going to be coached by their own attorney. Right. So getting the word out to people who need this service is a little bit it's a little bit difficult to figure out how to get that word out. And the more I play around with it... And, and to charge, I imagine. Right, and to charge. And, and there's, you know, personally, as a former public defender, you know, I think it's an awesome service. I think, you know, it, it is a valuable service. But 
if somebody is going to choose between doing that anti-theft class and paying for that class and paying for right. the legal coaching, I want them to pay for the anti-theft class because it's going to improve their case. And so I, it may need to be something that is more partnered with a nonprofit or becomes sort of a nonprofit um, type service. But it, I think that it's something, my goal is to maybe speak with some of the judiciary here and the courthouse and, and see if we can uh, maybe even get a, something set up to have it really just at the courthouse because it would eventually be so beneficial for the court because it would move a lot of cases along at a much quicker speed. It seems like you might be able to get a pilot project going with the court if they are, are willing and have the budget. Yeah. And, and it may be something too. I mean, we talked about, we were just talking about costs. It could be something as, you know, that they, they pay if they can, mm-hmm. you know, so, so they have that session and, and what, what they can contribute, they do because it, you know, there is a big range. And if they're, you know, and quite, it's unfortunate, but if they're not able to pay for an alcohol monitoring device or able to pay for the anti-shoplifting course before court, then, you know, they're probably not going to be able to contribute to the service or get a lot out of the service other than the emotional benefit of being prepared. But I, I do think that having access to this for, for the masses is, is just so important for all the reasons that, you know, that we talked about. Yeah. Well, that seems like a cool thing. And so you, you have or you haven't kind of tried to prove this concept? So I've, I've had, I have had a, a couple clients, I, quite honestly, this, this idea came out of the fact that this is what I was already doing with a lot of people, you know, who would qualify for the public defender, I would give them this information, it was a free service, um, inadvertently. And so I've, I know that it's a valuable service, but I haven't and, and I've sort of advertised for it. And my one of the clients who I did have a legal coaching session actually turned into my idea for the other service that I'm offering. So legal coaching is, is something that does work when people find it. Yeah. Um, it's something that I think needs to be more readily available in the courthouse for it to be helpful for more people. Okay, before we start talking about the next idea, which is also <laughs> cool, um, we need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk about your family advocacy. So we'll be right back. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person. No equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com lawyerist to sign up and get your first three months free. Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars. LawPay. Being a self-employed lawyer is hard enough, which is why dealing with your day-to-day paperwork on top of it all shouldn't have to be. FreshBooks makes ridiculously easy-to-use cloud-based time and billing software that will help you work smarter, get paid faster, and become more organized. With FreshBooks invoicing, you can create and send polished professional invoices effortlessly in mere seconds. FreshBooks can set you up to receive payments online, which can seriously improve how quickly you get paid. You can track your time either by using their mobile app or your desktop, meaning you'll always know what work you did, when you did it, and who you did it for. There's also a super handy deposit feature so you can invoice for a payment upfront when you're kicking off a project. To feel the full impact of how FreshBooks can change the way you deal with your paperwork, FreshBooks is offering our listeners a 30-day free trial. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section. 
Ruby Receptionist is a live remote receptionist service that is dedicated to helping lawyers win clients and build trust one happy caller at a time. From their offices in Portland, Oregon, Ruby's friendly professional receptionists ensure exceptional client experiences by answering calls live in English or Spanish, transferring calls, taking messages, collecting new client intake, addressing common questions, making outbound calls for you, and more. Just like an in-house receptionist at a fraction of the cost. More importantly, they sound like they're sitting in your office. For a special offer, visit callruby.com slash lawyerist2018 or call 844-715-7829. That's 844-715-RUBY. Okay, we're back. So Jenny, tell us what the next thing is. So the other service that I'm so excited about offering, and this is something that I would offer in my practice and, and not you know, not something that I'm trying to, you know, collaborate necessarily with just the courts on is called family advocacy. In San Diego and in, in every city, I'm sure, but in San Diego, we have a large amount of individuals who are struggling with addiction and struggling with mental illness. And as a former public defender, what you see, and, and as an attorney in general, is this conflict when you have a client between representing that client's express interests versus their best interest. So the best example, I think, and the most salient example that I've ever seen is, is when you're representing a, a juvenile client and you have a client and, and you, I would see this when I was at the public defender's office more often than, than is comfortable, but you'd have a client who say was pregnant and addicted to methamphetamine. And you meet your client for a detention hearing, which is when the court's going to decide whether or not they'll let them out of custody pending their court case. And your client tells you that all they want to do is get out of custody. And you know, and your client knows that they want to get out so that they can use. And the best thing for your client and the, the child that they're carrying is, is to stay in custody so that they can stay sober, have, you know, have support and have food and that structure. But as their attorney, you are the only person in that courtroom and the only person really in their world, possibly, who is there to listen to them and is there to advocate for them, not for their best interest, but for what they want. You are their voice in the courtroom. And without you, they have no voice. So you are there to represent their express interests, whether or not you agree with them or not. And it's a really important and sacred role that attorneys have for their clients. But it makes it very difficult because you care about your clients and you do want what's best for them. Um, it also makes it very difficult as a family member to understand why your child's attorney is arguing for them to get out of custody. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, you know, uh, there is in those situations that that individual doesn't get out of custody. The, the court understand what's going on. The DA has that information, which is why it's not necessary for you to be standing up there as their attorney arguing for their best interest because there's other people in the courtroom who are arguing for that. Hmm. But it, it's very difficult for, for family members. And it also, what occurs is that family members have all this information that is incredibly useful for when you're defending somebody who is mentally ill or has an addiction um, in trying to, to help them and, and get, a, get an outcome that does serve their best interest. So what family advocacy does is it instead of being hired to represent the defendant, you're representing the family. And, and so what I do in this situation is I have family members who come to me and they explain what's going on with their loved one. 
and they don't understand the court process at all. They don't understand what's been happening previously. They don't understand why their loved one has been arrested on certain charges and released and why they're back in the community. They thought they were on probation. They thought, you know, certain things were going to be happening. Um, so I explained to them sort of what these terms of art mean, what exactly happened in that court case, how there is this disconnect between what the loved one would assume would happen based on that arrest and what actually happened. So I, I give them the understanding as a criminal defense attorney of the court process because I can really interpret it for them. Yeah. And huh. so that, you know, that can be maybe like the, the baseline service. Sometimes there's not much else I can do as a family advocate, you know, depending on what the circumstances are and how serious the offense the individual is charged with, there might not be much more I can do other than just explaining it to them and giving them, it's again, an emotional service of having somebody to talk to about it and helping to understand it. And the second step that comes in in some cases is when I can do more on behalf of that, of the defendant. So with certain cases, what happens is there are people, including the family members, who want to come in and talk to the district attorney. They want to come in and talk to the public defender. They want to talk to the judge. Let everybody know what's been going on. So what I see a lot of is there's individuals who have had an addiction or a mental illness for many years. The family knows about it. They've tried many things. And then eventually, this person is now escalated to the point of criminal conduct and has gotten in trouble with the law. But before they've done, before they get in trouble with the law, as I said, there's, there's a wealth of history there already. Maybe they've tried some programs that haven't worked. Maybe they've been on medication. When that person goes into the, to the system and gets arrested, a lot of times it's for something minor, mm -hmm. drunk in public, um, under the influence of a controlled substance, maybe a violation of, or maybe um, loitering or trespassing, resisting arrest, something that's still just misdemeanor conduct and oftentimes very low level misdemeanor conduct. Hmm. This isn't going to raise the eyebrows really of anybody in the courtroom um, because the offer is always going to be, all right, plead to something minor, get out of jail. You'll be on probation, but you'll get out of jail. And anybody, anybody is going to, I've seen people who aren't addicted and who aren't mentally ill jump on that offer because being in custody is such a scary experience. And so this happens quite a few times in this in, in an individual's, you know, life and situation, especially while their addiction or their mental illness is, is sort of ramping up and going unchecked. And uh, until they commit either a more serious offense or they're looking at a significant amount of custody time because they just have so many probation violations at this point. Yeah. And it's not until then that really anybody starts paying too much attention to the case. And that's not at the fault of anybody. I want to be clear, like the district attorney's office has so many serious cases that they're handling that, that this is not the case that they should be making a big issue out of. You know, these are if, if it's low level offenses, they should be treated accordingly. Um, and same with the public defender's office. They have to represent the express interests of the individual. And if that's getting out of custody um, as quickly as they can, then that's what they have to advocate for. And in these situations, the judge is pretty much not involved. They are just listening to what the plea is and going forward with the terms of the agreement. So what I do in these situations is I try to, to get involved at that very beginning. As soon as I'm contacted by the family and I know there's a court case, I reach out to the district attorney and the public defender and let them know that there's some history here. 
and that I'd, I'd like to have a conversation with them about it. And what I, what's really important for me is to collaborate with the public defender's office on this because I, I do not want to be a thorn in their side. This is solely to be productive and, and help. So it's very, very clear when I when the family hires me that if we are not being helpful, then we are not going to be raising um, a stink about anything right. or, or getting involved because it, it's very important that that this is helpful for all the parties involved and is helpful to the court process. I mean, is this a bit like when uh, when somebody's charged with a crime and they get their own defense attorney, but maybe another lawyer shows up on behalf of the family, except maybe not necessarily on the news? <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, no, that that's that's exactly it. And, and I show up, but I don't, you know, I don't get involved. I'm not really speaking on the record unless unless it's an appropriate time to do so. Um, so I'm sort of working behind the scenes. So for example, um, in, in one case, there was a a social worker who was heavily involved in, in helping the the person who was accused of a crime. And that social worker was, was going to multiple court dates, but couldn't get past, you know, the actual, the bar, (laughs) couldn't get past the bailiff to talk to the DA or talk to the public defender and didn't know how to do that. So one of the things that I can do is is really quite simply just connect him to those people so that everybody's getting the information that they need in order to get the right result in the case. And the advocacy, there's a whole range. You know, it can be just collecting a list of medications so that we can send it over to the jail so that the jail has the right medications and the prescriptions for that individual so that they can be getting what they need sooner. And just being sometimes even a buffer for the public defender or the district attorney so that I can get all the important information from the family and condense it in a way that is really easy for them to use and to unwrap instead of, you know, having the long conversations with the family where they're not having, they're not able to even continue taking their calls if the if they don't see the conversations as necessarily productive. So you've tried this one, right? You've, you've tried this model? Yes. What are your thoughts on it from trying it? Is it does it work? Is it a good idea? I, I love this idea. I think um, it's so important that the family members, there's a really awesome organization called NAMI, N-A-M-I. It has support services for families and people, individuals who are affected by mental illness in, in their in their lives and in their family. And I've reached out to that that organization and had such a awesome conversation with them. And they do so many wonderful things. And they, you know, and and they can't exactly do precisely this, they can give a lot of really good advice and and have really changed the lives for a lot of families. And this is an additional service um, that can be offered and extended to those families so that they have the ability to do a little bit more, you know, and, and connect with the people who need to get the information um, so that the right resolution can be reached. So for example, if there's a case where the public defender is not going to get the best history on an individual, because usually defendants are their own worst historians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they and and a lot of times they don't want to tell the person all this information. So if they've gone to a, a treatment center that has been really effective, they might not want to tell that person that. They might want to go to a treatment center that they know they can walk away from, or they know that that's going to be easy to avoid. Hmm. What this does is for the public defender, you know, it, it gives them information of really good options, but 
again, the public defender is going to go with what the, the client wants because that's their job. So for the district attorney, what happens is, especially if the district attorney is, is looking for a more serious consequence in a case, we can go to them and say, hey, you don't need to impose custody or you don't need to be asking for these more serious charges. What would be a better and different way to, to do this is is maybe requiring that this person engaged in the programming that was really helpful for them before. Um, and, and so that's what I mean by, you know, I don't, I don't offer up anything from the families until we have a plan of action. So until we've created what has worked, what would be a really good outcome in this case, and that would actually be helpful and not, not to serve like the family's needs necessarily, but to really serve the individual's needs. And then I can present that to the district attorney, to the public defender. And if, if necessary, if the judge wants some more information from me, then I can give that to the courts. We have more of a roundtable discussion with all of the information, not just what the public defender is relying on their client to provide. And again, this is something that you would do as somebody's going through the public defender. If you're, if that person, if the defendant is working with a private attorney, then the family may hire their own lawyer, like I alluded to earlier, but more likely the private attorney is going to fill this role as well. I don't think so oh. because the the I mean if they have a private attorney oftentimes the family may be paying for that in in most situations of of the kind of case that I'm envisioning but when you have a private attorney for me when I have when families hire me to represent their loved one I have a clause in my contract that's very clear that I represent their loved one and so they may be paying me but my duty of loyalty is to their loved one and so in those situations if the loved one doesn't want to do a program and wants to get out of custody then that's my job is to advocate on their express interests so you know the family it, it works it can work with a private attorney I think that you run into this more when the individual is represented by the public defender not exclusively, but even in situations where they are represented by a private attorney, families are not, the information that they have is not necessarily getting to anybody who needs it. And, and that's because, you know, I've, I've been that public defender where a family member will come up to me and tell me a lot of information. And as I'm listening to it, I'm saying, this is going against everything my client is asking for me to do. Yeah. So while you're giving me this information, you know, I know that I'm putting that in a nice little envelope. I'll put it in my notes, but that's not, I can't as my duty of loyalty present that to the DA or give that to the judge. I can't do anything with that information because it's going to go against what my client wants. So the family advocacy is designed to get information to the people who need it to, to craft the right resolution, but in a way that also is not hurtful or harmful to the defendant, but in a way that, that would hopefully guarantee that they will be, or there's no guarantee, but would move toward the success of that individual so that they can get the treatment that they need or the um, structure that they need to be successful rather than just released and we're going to go through this all over again in a few months or, you know, or locked up for a long period of time until they're released and maybe they'll do okay after that time. But usually we're just going to do this again in a couple months from their release. So you've tried this and do you feel like you've proved the concept and there's a solid thing there? I do. I think that, you know, there's no guarantee in this because at the end of the day, each individual has their own autonomy. So you can craft the best possible resolution. And if the defendant says, no, I'd rather do custody, then that that's still their choice and they still have the right to make that choice. But at least the family again, because this is largely an emotional service too, the family knows that they've done everything that they can and have taken extra measures. And there's some peace 
that can be made with that too. When they feel like they've had a voice, people have listened to them. And then at that point, if their loved one has really made a choice to just let everything go um, and, and succumb, you know, not fight, I guess, against what they're going through, then you know, they can make a decision with that information as well. So I, I think that it's wildly helpful. Um, I think it gives the, the public defender a lot more resources to build their defense. The public defender, again, in San Diego has a ton of great resources and actually has a really amazing program for mental health that they've recently started up as well. But in terms of getting information from the families that maybe they wouldn't necessarily know about, I think it provides them with, with even more tools to get the best possible outcome and advocate for their client if they want to use those tools. So I, I, I do think that this is, is something that's definitely missing, especially you know, in, in the, when, when you live in a community where there are a lot of issues with, with mental health or, or people struggling with a mental illness um, and struggling with an addiction where their interests are definitely not aligned with what everyone else would really agree would be their best interests. So are you currently offering this or does it need some additional fleshing out before you're able to? No, I'm currently offering this. Very cool. Um, and, I, and, it's, and it's something that is very much a case-by-case basis in terms of how much we can do on a specific case, how much help, mm-hmm. you know, how, how involved we want to get in terms of the court process. Um, but sometimes, I mean, it sort of flows in and out with legal coaching a little bit because sometimes they just, the family just needs to be coached about what's going on rather than somebody going in and specifically advocating on their behalf, really on the on the defendant's behalf, but for you know the best interest of the defendant versus the express interest of the defendant. Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, thanks for giving us a preview of that stuff. What's next for both of these things? I mean, I assume for the family advocacy, more of the same. Do you think, do you have a clear plan for how you might implement the legal coaching concept? I'm actually, I've got some meetings set up with a few different people, some nonprofits in San Diego, and um, I, I'm working, you know, I'm, I want to make sure that I'm involving the public defender's office in it and, and making sure they're clear on what I'm trying to accomplish. Because if it's not helping the public defender's office, then it's not a helpful service. Yeah. Um, so so I, I'm, I'm meeting with them just to make sure that they're aware and to get their input on what would be helpful. And I'm excited to, to reach out, as I said, to the, to the courts. Um, so I have a lot of other people I have on my list to reach out to and get this going. Um, and then for family advocacy, I, I think I'm, I'm just really excited to get the word out more and continue working with local organizations that deal with that. There's a really awesome group that I, I go to monthly meetings with, the Society of Addiction Professionals in San Diego, just a, a great group of people who are a mix of sober living facilities, psychologists, psychiatrists um, who deal with addiction. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping to to be able to bring bring them in on, on this as well or just spread the word because I, I do think the more information that we can get uh, in these cases and the, the quicker we can take action earlier on in their criminal career, the better possibility for an excellent outcome or hopefully an earlier halt to their criminal career. I kind of like thinking about crime as a career. Um, I've always felt like uh, in an alternative life, I might have been a crime lord, but <laughs> here, here I am hosting a podcast instead. Um, well, Jenny, thanks for giving us a picture of that stuff. I love these ideas. Uh, they sound really promising. If people are interested in finding out more about you, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at my website, which is gersenzanglaw.com. And they can obviously contact me by email or through that website. And and while you're on her website, check it out. 
out closely. Jenny doesn't know this yet, but uh, it has been included in our best law firm websites of 2018, which will be public by the time this podcast goes live. No way. Yeah. Yes way. (laughs) That's really cool. I'm really excited about that. So congrats on that and and check it out. Uh, Jenny's website ticks a lot of the boxes that we needed ticked to make it into the top 10. So thanks so much for being with us today and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Sam. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Thank you.